The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was act one. This is what God does for us, but his work is not done. So we, we saw in act two how God made a crowd into a church and he washed them. And then in week two, we saw how God looked at that beautiful church that he had made and whom he had married, we saw. And today, we're going to be characterizing what happens today as martyrs. And this is amazing juxtaposition of we're going to be saying two truths and holding them in both hands. One, that Jesus is a good shepherd, and we're going to hold in the other hand that sometimes his sheep die. And we're going to be thinking about that here, here today. I invite you to follow along then as we look at Acts chapter 6. We're going to be reading selected portions this is a, a story that goes over two chapters in the book of Acts, and when you go home, read the whole thing, but today we're just going to read just selected portions starting at Acts chapter 1, and we'll, we'll arrive all the way at the end of Acts chapter 7 here in just a moment. Here's what Luke records for us. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen. To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. You stiff-necked people, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. 
But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses lay their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, teach us to die like Stephen. Teach us to live like Stephen and give grace to our enemies. Lord Jesus, teach us to see like Stephen, that you might open our eyes to see you, Jesus, standing at God's right hand for us. In your name we pray. Amen. English is like a funny little language. It really is. There's this rule in English. It's a grammatical rule. And I'm going to become a grammar geek again for you today. You can take literally any English noun and turn it into a verb. Did you know that? It's legal grammatically in English. And this happens all the time, actually, especially in these days of the Internet and in this massive growth in technology. So I'll give you some examples. All right, so you can um, visit Google's website, but you can also Google Google, right? It's a verb and a noun. I'll give you a couple more examples of this. You can, you can receive an email, or you can email an email. I'll give you one more example. You can receive a text. You can also text a text. It's a funny little quirk about the English language. You can do this. It's grammatically correct to take any noun that you want to and make it into a verb. But there's some nouns out there that you should never, ever turn into a verb. I'll give you some examples of this. I'm really glad that nobody yet has taken the noun desk and turned it into a verb. God forbid that somebody would desk another person. Or like, here's another noun that should never become a verb. You should never, ever make anvil into a verb. God forbid that you would begin to anvil something or someone. And yet sometimes, sometimes we take nouns that should never be verbs and we make them into verbs. And there's a great example of that in our lesson for today. Text somebody, email somebody, Google somebody, but never take a stone and then stone somebody. But that's what happens in our lesson for today. Somebody picked up a stone and stoned somebody. That's what it says right there in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. 
At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. And it's literally a verb that used to be a noun that violently knocks the wind out of us because we know exactly, we know exactly what it means to stone somebody. And it's horrible if you think about it. The participants in a stoning will go and find stones. And not just little ones either. They'll pick up the biggest stones that they can possibly throw and then they'll throw it at the person. And little by little by little, they will take the life of the person receiving those stones. It's horrifying to think about. I remember in Sunday school, actually, them teaching me this lesson, and there was a picture of Stephen on the ground in a pool of blood. It made an impact on my little mind. It's also very strenuous activity, the stoning. And Luke actually helps us to see that. Because the people doing the stoning, did you notice what they did? They took off their outer garments. And we need to think about that because the reason, you know why they took off their outer garments? It's because they were sweating. It's because they didn't want to get dirty. It's because they didn't want to get on their outer garments Stephen's blood. I mean, it was, it's just a horrifying, strenuous activity. It's a noun that never, ever, ever should have become a verb, but it did. Because they picked up stones and they stoned somebody. And Stephen was one of Jesus' sheep. In fact, Stephen was one of Jesus' best sheep. And we have to pick up on this because Luke tells us over and over again how magnificent of a person Stephen was spiritually. In fact, of the seven deacons that were elected this day, the only person, the only person was that was described in these exuberant terms was Stephen. This is how Luke describes him for us. This is verse Acts chapter 6, verse 5. He's described as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. But Luke doesn't stop there. In fact, what we learn from Luke, just a few verses later in Acts chapter 6, is that he's a man full of God's grace and power. And if you keep reading in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, there's two more people that are described as people full of grace and of power. You know who they are? Joseph and Moses. In other words, Luke is grouping Stephen with biblical superstars. He wants us to understand that right next to Moses and right next to Joseph stands Stephen. In fact, Stephen, you know who the church turned to to stop the divisiveness of race? You know who God used to convert even priests? 
You know who God used to make the church grow rapidly, Luke says? It was Stephen. We could say that Stephen was crushing it for the Lord. He was absolutely crushing it until he got crushed by stones. He was one of Jesus' very best sheep. Jesus is pretty good, good shepherd, right? Can you feel the tension in that statement as we think about Good Shepherd Sunday and then we watch one of Jesus' best sheep have his life spill out on the ground? I can feel it. It even sounds a little bit sarcastic, doesn't it? Jesus is a really good shepherd, right? It might help us if, if we wouldn't read this lesson on, on Good Shepherd Sunday. I, I was thinking about this. It, it, would, it would be more comfortable for us on Good Shepherd Sunday to read something like David and Goliath, you know? And, and we see this, this little shepherd pastor guy sling that stone and it sinks into the giant Emony's head, and he just falls over dead. And this is victorious moment for God's people. And then we could say, we could say without any sarcasm at all, Jesus is a good shepherd. Wow. Or it'd be, it'd be more comfortable for us maybe to read like a story like Daniel in the lion's den. Because there you see God's man, he stands up for his faith, and he's chucked into the lion's den, and then God closes the mouths of those lions all night, and Daniel walks out unharmed. And we'd be able to say, without any sarcasm or tension at all, Jesus is a good shepherd. Wow. Or we could, we could, we could look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they powerfully and boldly stand up for their faith, and they're thrown into the furnace, and then they come walking right back out without a singe at all, and they didn't even smell like fire. That's how good God's protection is. And then we could say, wow, without any sarcasm at all, God's a good shepherd. But that's not what we have today. Not this Good Shepherd Sunday. What we have is Stephen boldly professing his faith. An angry mob drags him out of the city. And they turn a noun into a verb. And they take his life. A little bit at a time. And we think Jesus is a good shepherd. Right? There's no miraculous escape, not like Jesus did when they wanted to stone him. He walks right through the crowd. There's no, like, Stephen doesn't pull an Apostle Paul. Remember him? He, they wanted to stone him too. And they drag him out of the city, and they leave him as if he were dead, and he pops right back up. Nothing like that either. They stone Stephen, and then he dies. And so, it, you know, it feels a little bit sarcastic to me to say Jesus is a good, really good shepherd. It might feel like, you know, when Joe Biden came out to New, New York City and he said, New York City's got the three 
worst airports in the entire country, and then for me to say, New York City has electric, amazing, comfortable airports for all of you. That sounds sarcastic, doesn't it? In fact, you can feel the tension maybe in your own lives on Good Shepherd Sunday, if you really think about it. Because we know that sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray for that friend who's got cancer. And we say that Jesus hears prayers and then she dies. And it feels a little odd to say Jesus is a good shepherd. And then, and then it feels a little bit like there's tension in the statement when, when you know that this one time, this one, it was just once, but I took my eye off my two-year-old and then the two-year-old went tumbling down the stairs and broke her arm. Say, Jesus is a really good shepherd. And then, and then it feels a little bit tension-filled when you have heard the stories about this person that you love went out driving one night, and then he gets T-boned by a drunk driver. And you think, Jesus is a really good shepherd, right? It feels a little bit tension-filled. feels a little bit simplistic. It, it feels a little bit, maybe even a little bit false. I mean, Jesus, where are you? What are you doing when these things happen in our lives on Good Shepherd Sunday. But we have an amazing opportunity this morning, I think, don't we? Because we do have this just juxtaposition. We're not, we're not hiding from the fact that Jesus is a good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, but on the other hand, sometimes Jesus' sheep die. In fact, we're taking that head on here this morning. And we're going to hold both of those truths in both of our hands, but we're going to add a third truth. And this is a truth that can only be revealed to you. It's not something that you can see. It's something that must be believed. And that's what we have in our lesson here this morning. And some of you, some of you might join others, stick your fingers in your ears and close your eyes so that you don't see what Stephen sees. But I want you to listen, and I want you to hear what Stephen sees and hears from his good shepherd. This is both Luke and Stephen tell us the same thing. This is Acts chapter 7, verses 55 to 56. And this is our third truth for today. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. See, there's two truths that we've been already looked at. There's one truth that Jesus is a good shepherd. There's a second truth that sometimes Jesus' sheep die. And here's the third truth. Something that must be revealed, that was revealed for our sake and Stephen's sake. First of all, heaven is open. 
You notice this? Heaven is wide open. The last time heaven was open was when Jesus was baptized. When heaven parted. And Jesus said, this must be done to fulfill. Remember this? All righteousness. This is back in Epiphany already. But it's not just that, that heaven is open. That's not all that Stephen sees. He also sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's not sitting. I know that sounds like a, like a really small, insignificant detail. But he's not sitting. Normally on Sunday morning, we're going to confess it later. In the creed, we're going to say Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. He's comfortably there in all of his power because of what he has accomplished and what he has won for us. He's sitting there, but not here. Not here. He is not sitting. He's standing. Right? Why do you think Jesus would stand up all of a sudden from his sitting position? Don't you think he sees what's going on? He sees Stephen's life spilling out on the ground and he's moved. He's not sitting anymore. He stands up and he opens heaven. I think that's a, huge, that's a huge thing for us to realize. If we could just peel back the heavens for just a moment when we're going through some things and we could see what Jesus is doing. He's not sitting. He's moved. He stands because he wants to rescue just like he did once. Once he suffered, once he died, once he was raised, and now he doesn't sit. Not when his sheep are suffering. He stands. See, that's what's really going on. When we're going through some things, we need to do what Stephen did and look to heaven and let Luke show to us what's really going on. When we're praying, when we're praying for that sister in Christ who's got cancer and she's dying, and then we find out what she's gone. Jesus isn't sitting. He's standing and he's sending his angels to take her home. You know, when that two-year-old, when you take your eye off just a second and she tumbles down the stairs and she breaks her arm, Jesus isn't sitting, he's standing and he's going to put his hand on that arm and heal it. This is the truth. And when, and when your good friend's kid gets T-boned by a drunk driver, Jesus doesn't sit there doing nothing. He stands at God's right hand. And he takes that person to be with him. Sometimes we probably wish we knew what Jesus was doing when these things happened to us. Now we know. He's not sitting there with his legs crossed, just watching a show. He's standing. 
Because this is what he does for us. You know, the story isn't over either. I think sometimes we think that Stephen just died and that was it for him. But Luke just leaves us with a seed of hope, doesn't he? Just a little bit, because this is how he ends the story that continues. He says, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Just a seed of hope. Because sleeping people, they wake up again, don't they? Amen. Amen.